We praise thee, O God, for the Son of thy love, for our Savior who died and is now gone above. Hallelujah. Dear Father in heaven, I just want to thank you. Thank you for blessing us today. Lord, how can mere mortals speak for you? It is impossible, but you have called us to come. Come join you in the work of salvation. Come, you have even admonished us to preach the word. So Lord, I ask today that you take over my mind, my heart, my soul, my tongues, my tongue, my intonation, everything I will say today. Lord, let your people hear from you. Speak to them, Lord. Your children want to hear from you. Speak for me, O oh Lord, because I have no voice of my own. Like Isaiah, I'm a man that dwell among unclean people, and I am chief of all sinners. So, Lord, touch my tongue with the call from your furnace today, that, Lord, all that I will say will be according to your will. Lord, thank you for this opportunity. And when all is done, Lord, may your children know that they have been in your presence and they will never remain the same because you have empowered them, you have strengthened them, and you have emboldened them to go forward and do your work. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I will begin sharing my screen. Um, so our title today is God's Plan for Your Life, Abundant Health. And I want to thank my beautiful sister Ikone for reading that passage for us. I'd like to read it one more time to emphasize on the things I want to bring out to you all. It says, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. And who is the thief? The thief is disease, illness, stress, everything that is not from God. But Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it. And what is he trying to remind us here that he's talking about life more abundantly? It would have been easy when Jesus was on earth to say, I have come that you may have life and stop there. But God knew that there is a difference between life and more abundant life. And in case some people are saying, could there be abundant health? I say, yes, there is abundant health. And that's what we want to talk about today. And uh, for us to have abundant health, we have to have the love of Christ, and we have to make it real to our fellow human beings. And Sister White talks about making love real. Words of kindness, looks of sympathy, expressions of appreciation will to many a struggling, lonely one be as a cup of cold water to a thirsty soul. So I have a story to tell you. There's a story of a rich man. This rich man in this modern era has a lot of money. He invests in stock market and he has all kinds of business ventures. And of course, he had such a bountiful return on all his business ventures. And on top of that, he has so many properties and so many houses, and he has a lot of poor people around him. But unfortunately, because he's so self-minded and full of self-love, he could not see the need of people around him. Rather, what he did was he said, you know what, I'm going to tear down the houses I have. I'm going to build bigger houses. And I'm just going to sit back and all the money that I have, I'm just going to reinvest it and it's going to make more and more money. I'm just going to be partying. I'm going to go on my yacht and I'm just going to have more serious vacations and stuff like that. And you know what? Unfortunately, due to his poor health lifestyle, and I say poor health lifestyle, remind you he's rich. He met an untimely death. And on meeting an untimely death, the question is, could this life be a different life if he had true love? if he had a love of God in him to show that truly his money is not his. I want you to keep that story in mind as we proceed. Sister White reminds us that the only key to success is also Christ's methods. Christ's methods will give us true success in reaching the people. The Savior mingled with orders as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy, ministered to their needs, won their confidence, then he bade them follow me. So the only key to success, as I was pointed out earlier on, was Sister White's instructions to us about ministering to you know, um, those around us. And it takes all this about Christ's method and success to have truly success, because on our own, we cannot do it. By this, all men shall know that ye are my disciples if ye have love for one another. It is indeed the true litmus test for a Christian, because how can we know we're Christians if we don't show love to one another? Christ left heaven 
a place we can only imagine that's glorious and came down to love us while we're yet in our sins. So my brothers and sisters, we have to leave our life loving one another like Christ did. It says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. This is how everyone will recognize that you're my disciples when they see the, the love you have for each other. So here is a slide that is talking about deaths of COVID-19. And of course, this particular topic was organized by NAD um, um, of the um, Adventist um, you know, uh, church because of the fact that they want to bring hope and healing during this time of pandemic and time of crisis. As you look at this slide, it is kind of depressing, but I want you to notice that there is hope even in this slide. As you see, you know, we have more black people dying from COVID-19 compared to our white counterparts and Asian counterparts. And second to us is the Hispanic population. And it talks about here, if all racial ethnic groups had died at the same rate as white Americans, at least 15,000 black Americans, 1,500 Latino Americans and 250 indigenous Americans would still be alive. So we're not dying at the same rate. Sadly, we're dying more, and we'll talk about why this is the case. And I believe that this, you know, particular talk of, you know, um, health, hope, and healing during this time is geared towards helping us that more, now more than ever, we have to have hope and see how we can empower ourselves to live a healthier life and those around us. So why race matters? There are large racial and ethnic differences in economic status. That is true. I want you to look at this slide. And the goal is not to depress us. The goal is to empower us to do better. It says median household income and race in 2018. It says on here, the whites have 70,000, Asians make more, which is true. Uh, on top of the Asians, the Indians are the ones that make the most money. Hispanics and then American Indians and Blacks. We seem to be on the bottom of the list. But I want you to know that God has blessed Nigerian immigrants. It is not a hidden fact that among black immigrant groups, you know, we have not just Nigerians, black immigrant groups have medium income above the average American. So when you look at this, blacks is talking about both black immigrants and African-Americans. And I want to give you something that will encourage you all, a hope to say, you know, for, you know, times like this, when you think about the data out there about the demographics, Nigerian Americans are the most educated group in America, according to a study by Rice University. And Nigerian Americans are 1% of African Americans in this, in this uh, United States. African Americans are estimated to be about 13% of the US population. The other good news that I found out recently is Nigerian Americans make up 25% of black students at Harvard Business School. So among us as you know, Nigerian immigrants, you know, this statistics may not truly apply to us. What, I'm, what am I trying to say? By the grace of God, not by our own self, we are doing better than this slideshow. So I, when I read this, I said, you know what, Lord, thank you. Thank you for doing for your children. In evil land, we'll say that we are watching America. God is doing for us, and I praise him for that. So here's median household income and race again. You know, and it's talking about, uh, sorry, I want to go, go back to the next slide. It says $1 whites, Asians, $1 to, uh, to 23 cents, and Hispanics, 73 cents you know, Americans, Indians, and Blacks, 59 cents. So here, when you look at poverty and race, we tend to be the top, meaning Black people in the United States. We have more poverty among the races. Asians have 10.1%. So American Indian, you know, 25.4%, because unfortunately of their circumstance and they tend to live in isolation. Hispanics are 17.6%. Whites are 8.1%. So when you look at this, we have a poverty that's two and a half times more you know, than whites and twice as you know, Asians. And uh, I would say more or less close to one-to-one -one with you know, Hispanics. And I mentioned to you earlier and to give you hope that you know, even with this statistics, God has blessed us as Nigerians and will continue to bless us. And I believe that is because we, we know that we're in a land that is different from home and we have no other place but refuge, a hiding place in God. And I tell you, my brothers and sisters, as we continue to run into the Lord and hold on to him, he will continue to bless his children. So poverty and race in terms of millions. So when you look at this, it will look like, oh, you know, we um, are doing better than blacks, but uh, than white people. But remember, I just mentioned to you 
um, African Americans of Blacks are, are only 13% of the United States population. So we have more Hispanics in this country and more whites in this country. And of course, you know, the Asians are a little bit higher than us. American Indians probably um, less, little less or close to us. So when you look at this in millions, it looks like, oh, we're doing better in you know, overall in terms of the Black Americans. But it's still a striking number because for 13% representation U.S. population, they have 8.9% 8.9 poverty. And when you compare that in millions, so what am I trying? I'm not trying to depress anyone today. I'm just trying to show you how the odds are stacked against us. So as you look at this, please, this message is about hope and healing, about and about how to live an abundant life. Hold on to this fast and know that God is working in the meanwhile on our behalf. So here. There's this, uh, this statistics comes from you know, the Federal Reserve Board from 2016. For every dollar of wealth that whites have, blacks have 10%, Latinos have 12%, and other races have 38%, uh, 38 cents of it. And um, yes, it looks like we have less, but um, you know, the odds are stacked against us, but we can change the odds by what we do to empower ourselves and empower each other. All right, so take a look at this slide, and I want you to just ponder about this slide, because when I was reviewing this slides, this was slides original, originally made by NAD. I did add and modify some things to it. Um, it says what low economic status means. We are in the same storm, but in different boats. If I were to ask you, just plainly looking at this picture, who is uh, which boat and occupants are likely to survive this storm? All of you unanimously will point to the first two boats, the one in the farthest, corner of the picture, the one in the middle. You know, and of course, the very last one, that is, that is not even a boat, but that is what the kind of boat that poor people, low economic status have. They have a makeshift boat. So I call the very first boat, the Asian Americans. And they call the middle boat, the Caucasian Americans. And then I call this raft kind, raft-like boat, the Blacks American Indians. But you know, when I look at this picture, I was disheartened at first. I said, Lord, this looks like there is no hope for this two people holding onto this raft-like boat. But I said, Lord, why is this this way? And the Holy Spirit said to me, take a look again. Where do you think I'm most likely needed in this boat? The people in the first two boats, I'll tell you, will look at the size of their boats and say, you know what, I'm going to take a nap. You know, we're going to make it no matter what. These two people, I can assure you, are praying more than they've ever prayed in their life. So you know what? There's a song that says, I thank God for the storm. I thank God for the trials. Because if I never had them, I would never know there is a living God. I would never know there's a God who solves problems. Yes, we may have trials and tribulations in this world. But Jesus says, be of good cheer. I've already overcome. And I beg it to you that as I, was, I put it to you that as I was looking at this slide, the Holy Spirit said to me, you may think that these people holding onto this raft will not survive, but through my power, the water will not cover them. The storms will not destroy them. They will come out and people will wonder, how are they making it? People will wonder, how did they survive? And the other boats that think that, you know what? Yes, they're secure in their own strength, may crack. No, I don't wish them to drown, but because they did not trust the almighty God, as these two people are praying and screaming, Jesus, help us. Like Peter said, Lord, save me. God is willing and waiting for us to call and say, God, save us. The, the odds are against us. The storms are rising. The waves are too high. And he will remind us, he is the one that calms the storm. He will remind us that peace be calm to the storm. I said it before, and peace be calm to the storms of your life. And he will remind us that he is the one that says to the ocean, stop, don't go any further, because he is God Almighty. So to me, this slide at first disheartened me, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, he opened my eyes to see there is a blessing in this. People, the odds may be stacked against us, but know that with God, all we need is to be on God's side. And when we are on God's side, we have majority. If you heard me say this, please say amen. So what does low income and COVID-19 mean? Not everyone can work from home. That is the truth. For low wage non-salary workers with unpredictable and stable hours, working from home is a luxury. That is so true. 
because when you look at your what you call your, your essential workers, the ones that you know lock up the grocery stores or clean the street or deliver your mail, you know they are low wage, you know, and they are not on salary. They do sometimes maybe work, you know, on you know hourly pay. And important neighborhoods with overcrowded housing and social, uh, and when we say social distance, it's not a viable option. Look at the slums around the nations, around the countries, around the world. I will go to the slums in our country, Nigeria. How can you expect them to social distance? It's impossible. Go around Africa to the slums, go to South America, go to Asia. You know, we go to, go to India or even other Asian countries. We may not have the so-called slums here. We call them ghetto. But how can you truly social distance? So for us, social distance is a luxury because we live in our private homes. We live in apartment buildings. And we can able to social distance and isolate. But that is how low-income, low socioeconomic people are suffering or unable to fully protect themselves from COVID-19. Low-income and minority workers are overrepresented among the essential workers. They are drivers, they're building maintenance staff and grocery store employees. They are people who struggle financially you know, to live a healthy life because to them, healthy living is expensive. And, and I know that a lot of us have not actually thought about how the demographics of this nation has made it impossible for poor people or low-income people to truly get ahead. When you go to the grocery store in a low-income neighborhood, I want you to take time to look at the prices of vegetables. I want you to take time to look at the quality of things that sell to them. And I, um, I intentionally uh, did this because I was, I was challenged at one of the uh, conferences I went to about what are the things that are obstructing our patients or uh, preventing them from being able to access medical care. And for me, as a child of God, I believe that medical care should be accessible to every, every creed, race, person, whoever they are. And it's unfortunate that the redlining that happened during the you know, um, 1940s still exists to some level, to some level. Grocery stores in poor neighborhoods have higher prices, poor quality, compared to grocery stores in high income neighborhoods where the prices are affordable and higher quality because they do know that they can't sell poor things to rich people because they will protest or they'll shut them down. So they truly, they truly do have a struggle for them. They have stumbling blocks ahead of them. And to truly overcome it, it feels insurmountable, but God is the only way. And God needs people like us to help us, to help them to overcome these challenges. Our example, the world became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. That's Jesus. He left heaven, a pure atmosphere, a place of bliss, and love and purity that we would never be able to comprehend or even begin to you know, concept, uh, conceptualize in our memory. But he left that neighborhood and came into a neighborhood of sin and dirtiness and you know, impurity. He, we saw the glory with our own eyes, the one of a kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from the start to finish. And of course, this is a, 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 trans, um, a different version of the John 1.14. It's a message Bible. And Walking in his steps means in order to walk in the steps of Jesus, we shall find his footprints beside the sickbed, in the hovels of poverty, in the crowded alleys, the great city, and every place where there are human hearts in need of consolation. In doing as Jesus did when on earth, we shall walk in his steps. Desire of ages. So if we are truly to take Jesus' example, we are to leave our comfort zone and move into the neighborhoods where people are hurting. Where to leave our comfort zone and say, you know what, I'm going to see those in your practice or whatever line of work you do. I'm going to be more available, help those who can afford my services. I'm going to provide the best need care or the best service that I can because Jesus came down to do that for us. Our marching orders, is not this the fast that I have chosen to lose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens and to let the oppressed go free? that ye break every yoke, is not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house, when thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and thou, that thou hide not thyself from thy own flesh. This is found in Isaiah. This is the fast that God wants. God does not want us to say, I'm going to fast from eating three meals a day, I'm just gonna eat one meal. Yes, you can afford three meals a day, so even if you ate one meal, you know, you're not gonna die of starvation. But God wants us to look outside of our, of our very 
you know, um, epicenter of where we are. Look outside of our, you know, circuit. Look outside of our nuclear family, friends and family that are of the same social status, economic social status. Look to those who are starving. Look to those who are poor. Look to those who are naked, those who are in prison, those who are really in need of us. And most importantly, don't hide ourselves from our own because then we'll begin to carry out the fast because we're losing the bands of wickedness and relieving heavy burdens and by his grace, letting the oppressed go free and breaking the yoke. So what does comprehensive ministry look like? Oh, for us as Adventists, we have a, 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 a template that's been given to us. Through the years, we've, had, we've heard of health ministry, instruction and in principles of health. My sister Ozioma talked about this, instruction in nutrition, cooking schools and demonstrations, instructions in simple treatments, child care, training homes and adoptions, ministering in church health clinics and centers. Of course, health combined with public evangelism, health conditioning centers like sanitariums. We may not actually be able to establish a sanitarium, but we have tons of sanitariums around us. We have Wildwood not far from you all here up in North Georgia, Itchy Pines in Alabama, Wima out in California. I'm just mentioning a few conflicting the afflicted among us, caring and providing for people and their problems that are in our neighborhood, in our church, in our family. So the promise that God, the promise that God has given us, and if you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light will rise in darkness and your gloom will become like midday. And the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire in scorched places and give strength to your bones. And you'll be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. I say amen. Because God is saying, get up. Just follow my instructions. I have given you charge. I promise you, you will be richly rewarded when you do my will. When you go touch my children. When you go heal the sick. When you visit the bedridden, those in the hospital. When you visit those in jail. When you give close to the naked. When you feed the hungry, you loosen the bonds of yoke and burdens around those who are hurting. God says, I will bless you. And Sister White talks about every call is an enabling call because he is saying that I will give you strength. God will not call us to do what he knows we cannot do because he is more than able to provide the strength we need. So God's call said the least of this. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you are blessed of my father. He heard the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me. I'm naked, you clothed me. I was sick and you visited. I was in prison and you came to me. You see, the people who did this didn't think they were doing anything to gain salvation. They were just having God's love. They were not like the rich man that I told you in the beginning of this you know, talk. They had the burden of God's love. God's love, Jesus' love, the Holy Spirit constrained them to love their fellow man. That when they saw a hungry person, they gave them food. When they saw someone thirsty, they gave them something to drink. When they met a stranger, they said, come in. Come take a shade from the hot sun. Rest a while. When they saw naked children, they clothed them. When there was a sick among them, they visited. And when there was someone that was locked away in a prison, that cell, wondering if God had forsaken him as the world has, they visited to say, no, your father in heaven is still looking upon you and wondering when are you going to come home like a prodigal son. And to those people who did this, when Jesus says, come, you are blessed of my father, they are surprised because all they knew were we were loving our fellow men like he said to love. We didn't know that we're doing this, Lord. We just went on an errand that love told us to go on. And I pray that for us as Adventist Christians, that this would be our desire to go on that love, that we would go without hesitation. We will go and not get tired. We will go because we have been mandated, we have been ordained, we've been enabled to do So I tell our destiny hinges on thus Christ's picture to his disciples, the scene of the great judgment day, and he represented his decision as turning upon one point there will be but two classes and their eternal deaths will be determined by what they have done or have neglected to do for him in the prison of the poor and in the person of the poor and the suffering. So my brethren, when we come across those in need, we're not going to do it because we want to show off or oh, I'm trying to buy salvation. Love will motivate. Love will cause you. Love will strengthen you. And love will guide you to do that, which you know that your fellow men 
would not only be blessed, but be drawn closer to God. So what can we do? What will a comprehensive health ministry really look like? So you all are familiar with Dr. John Harvey Kellogg. In 1893, the General Conference set up a Seventh-day Adventist Medical Mission and Beloved Association to operate a special outreach in Chicago. Dr. John Harvey Kellogg was made the president of the association. And the truth is that not only did he start up this, excuse me, I'm gonna turn this off. Not only did he start this Chicago mission, but the key was to provide so many services. And uh, excuse me, uh, let me turn this off. Okay. All right. Free medical dispensary, clothing distribution program, homeless shelter, soup kitchen, working at work at shelter, raw carpet, weaving or broom making. Dr. Kellogg's program, the Chicago Mission, has so many, so many aspects of this um, Chicago Mission. Just to mention a few, because time will not permit me. He had a medical school program for medical students and nurses to shelter them, to provide for those students who are unable to have a home of their own. He had a maternity ward for unwed, unwed mothers so that they would not be cast out in the street. He had home for street kids so that they would not be left at the, at the risk of being damaged or killed by wicked people on the street. He had a kindergarten and day nursery program for working moms who could not afford childcare. He had classes for first aid, hygiene, diet, child training, dressmaking classes so that people could learn to take care of themselves in simple ways. He had an adoption program where they could place orphans into homes that are safe and godly homes. He had a prison ministry that ministered to those who were locked away from the society. And he had clubs for what they call street boys. And in, in this day and era, we'll call it our local YMCA or Boys and Girls Club. Basically, this program was meant to go out and do what Christ had challenged us to do. That is what you call a comprehensive you know, um, health ministry. God has provided us with comprehensive and detailed instructions. Job creation. Sister White talks about a ministry of healing. Attention should be given to the establishment of various industries so that poor families can find employment. Carpenters, blacksmiths, and indeed everyone who understands the line of useful labor should feel a real responsibility to teach and help the ignorant and the unemployed. Yes, in hard time, carpentry and blacksmith was something that people could do easily. And I still believe even in our times, carpentry is still a skill because there are still furnitures being designed but what she's saying here is if we have access to job opportunities and we know that our brother, our sister, or somebody in our community is unemployed, let us be a way, an avenue that we can help them become employed. Because the truth is when their hand finds something to do, their mind is occupied and it will not be a, a waste and empty land for the enemy to inhabit or for them to turn to evil vices or evil, you know, um, evil jobs that they think they can, they can make money quick. So, in creating jobs, we're actually helping to save lives because when they actually have a job and they look around and say, I have a job, I'm going to pay my tithe. And, you know, this brother that helped me has something else is telling me about living healthy and coming to church. Let me see, because he has enriched my life. We are literally touching them the way Christ did by drawing them closer and closer. Now, it is true that most of us don't know how to give um, in a Bible study or don't even know how to minister to those around us because the first thing we do when we meet somebody is let me give you a Bible study. That is not the approach. God, Jesus did not meet them and say, let me tell you about the sanctuary. Let me give you a Bible study. He fed them. He ministered to them. He listened to their pain, to their woes. And in, their, in his presence, they felt that they were in the presence of someone who genuinely loved them. And after he had ministered to their needs, he said, follow me. And I believe if we follow this method, we will win many souls to Christ. And our church will be packed that we'll be looking for pews and expanding and expanding the church in many dimensions and directions that Jesus will come soon. So as we talk about job training, by instruction and practical lines, we can often help the poor most effectively. As a rule, those who have not been trained to work do not have habits of industry, perseverance, economy, and self-denial. This is true. When you have a job, and you know that you have been given a responsibility to do something at work, you will have a mind trained to say, I have to report to work at this time. I have to persevere my duty that I may do a good work. And I have to learn how to deny myself extra sleep or extra indulgence because I need to be at work. 
So by employing the hand, you're employing the mind. By employing the mind, you're growing the mind. They do not know how to manage. Often through lack of carefulness and right judgment, there is wasted that which will maintain their families in decency and comfort. If you were, full, if you were careful and economically used. So she's literally telling us that if we have a way to employ them, please do. Because not only are we, like I said, if you employ the mind, if you employ the hands, you employ the mind, then that person will begin to think, I am worth more than what I've been doing. I can do better for my family. I can do better for my church. I can do better for my God. And if they've never thought about God, when they see the changes in their life, they'll begin to think there's something bigger than what I've been used to. Practical skills. Let the members of the poor households be taught how to cook, how to make and mend their clothing, how to nurse the sick, how to care properly for the home. Let the boys and girls be thoroughly taught some useful trade or occupation. One of the Adventist schools at Wichita, I love their program. They do not only teach the girls and boys how to be successful in academics, they teach them how to cook, how to employ their hands in building things, in trade, in farming, so that when they come out and graduate from high school or college, and even yes, they have a career, they are able to do those things that they've been taught to do without having to resource it out to say, I'm going to hire someone to garden do a garden for me or mow my lawn. They're actually handy people that they can know how to fix things around the house. And even when they go on mission trip or around the church, you know, they can be helpful to their neighbors, to their church family members that say, hey, my water is leaking. I can fix that because they've been taught very well. And not just teaching it to the poor, even those who are not poor will benefit from this handiness and practical skills. Reducing inequalities in health, what can each of us do? So, SDA hospitals can help by giving emphasis to prevention in the delivery of care, develop incentives and interventions to reduce normally occurring implicit biases that lead to inequities in care, provide care that addresses whole person needs of clients, as an example, example, address barriers in clients' environment linked to the non-medical resources that can assist clients. This is true. We know that in medicine, there's something called implicit bias. You know, Harvard, Harvard University did a study recently that proved this to be so true. And they actually have a test for all clinicians to take. And when you take that test as a clinician, it, it surprises you how much implicit bias you have. You may not have implicit bias to say, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm, not, I'm not gonna treat white or black, but you may have implicit bias to say that when you see a patient that has this kind of scar, you automatically think, They've done drugs. And I know for sure that I have that implicit bias that I live in a community where there's high rate of methamphetamine use. And when I see that the baby is not doing well and mom has scars all over her hands, I automatically begin to think, here's a drug user who has endangered the life of this baby that I'm, I'm trying to save or, or I'm trying to take care of. The truth is, as Adventist hospitals, SDA hospitals, which we are blessed to have many hospitals, we can be the pathfinder, the leaders in trying to bring care to everyone to remove the biases that cause inequities in care. And unfortunately, we cannot change everybody, but we can begin to make a change where we are. And so Sister White reminds us that the, the hospitals that were set up, that God gave visions to set up you know, when she was alive on earth was because of the fact that we want to create a different standard compared to the world that people of all ethnicity, creed, race, stature can come and freely feel that they can get equal care without being you know, divided into you're poor, you're black, we're not gonna see you, we're only gonna see white or Asian. So develop programs that enhance members and the community's knowledge of food, fitness, and sleep, and encourage healthy choices. Offer programs and outreach services to low-income persons to ensure that they have a marketable trade or skill to earn adequate income to support good health. And I'm going to talk about something you know, that my hospital does. Creation Health is a program that was um, developed by Advent Health. And I've been blessed to be uh, one of the speakers for Creation Health for the last going on, this is 2020, for the last eight years now. And Creation Health basically is a way that we try to merge you know, what we do in terms of medical science, providing healthcare, and providing prevention. So the first one, uh, first letter there, C for creation, is for choice. The first step toward improved health is, uh, is 
making sure that they make choices. When we encounter our community and we know they're struggling to live a healthy lifestyle, most of them have already engraved themselves in habits that are destroying the very fabric of their health and the society as well. If we tell them that if you stop smoking, you're going to save on average $1,790 to $3,820 a year, depending on where they live. And then when you stop smoking, you begin to feel better. When you stop smoking, you'll have healthier lungs to get up and go look for a job. And you, when you stop smoking, not only the money you save, you use it to buy better food to take care of yourself. We also tell them to quit smoking and drinking alcohol because alcohol destroys not only their body, their mind, because you know what? They become victims of inappropriate behaviors and can even get themselves killed when they say the wrong thing to the wrong person. And tell them also that the amount of money they can save as, as much as $160 a week to $8,320 a year, and even up to $10,000 a year because of the money they save from saving, not buying alcohol during the holiday. And when we encourage them to make healthy choice about not drinking soda and drinking water, that they can lose as much as 60 pounds of unhealthy weight a year and reduce their calorie intake by 219,000. And not only that, save money that they can apply to buy healthy food. Because yes, one of the things I hear when we do our reversing diabetes class, weight loss class, or you know, um, the new staff classes or the creation classes, oh, buying healthy is expensive. But yet, they have habits that are draining their resources. They have habits that are not allowing them to keep money in their bank. And if they find that it is truly easy to live a healthy lifestyle, the first step toward improved health, they are empowered to say, I'm going to try it. The second letter is R for rest, taking time to relax. We know that our so-called essential workers, non-salary workers, most of the time they work two or three jobs to make ends meet. They really don't have time to rest. But, and that's because they are struggling. That the continuous rat race, they are struggling to find time, to, uh, to find ways to make ends meet. But when they realize that there is a day that the Lord has set aside, a day of rest, work six days and rest on the seventh day, that truly God will make a way for you. They will begin to respond. Environment, all that surrounds you, making sure that their environment is a healthy environment, that they learn to put things in order, to reduce cluster and provide a healthy environment for their family, for themselves. Activity, getting out and moving more, not necessarily exercising outdoors or running or walking, but they can involve themselves in gardening. Going out and gardening not only allows them to move, also allows them to be exposed to sunshine, vitamin D, all those things that help boost up or optimize the immune system. Having a, an undeniable strong trust in God, believing in God that he will do for them what no one else can do. Interpersonal relationship means that they not only look to themselves, they are not like the rich man I told you, they realize that people are essential to well-being. When we involve ourselves or when we share of our lives with others, positive people, even when we have negative people around us, try to encourage them, love those who hate you, love those who despitefully use you, that they may begin to say, what is it that makes this person different? Outlook means living happier can make you live longer. Volunteering of your time, volunteer at your local center, volunteer at the youth center, your Pathfinder AYS, your YMCA, your Boys and Youth Club, volunteer at the crisis center, wherever you're needed. Because the truth is, all of us can give something of ourselves. Nutrition, of course, it is last in the creation word, the last letter, but it is not the, it's not the least. I say it's the most important. It's what fuels our body, it drives your whole system. Because when we don't eat right, when we don't eat right, we don't feel right. When we don't feel right, we can't do anything. It's hard to motivate yourself when you feel weak and feel um, you know, like your, your health is not where it ought to be. So the other part of uh, you know, um, healthy lifestyle is Newstat lifestyle. I wanted to put this to you because some are familiar with Newstat. Newstat is essentially a different form of creation health. I started with creation health because that is what my organization used. And I incorporate it every time I'm counseling my patients on their wellness exam or have a diabetes problem or different things. I find this to incorporate And I'm always blessed when I tell them something that all this while they've never known. They're like, wow, I can really begin to impact my life. And they want more resources. So we, this is my set website inviting them. We're having a new creation health seminar starting and go through all the seminars. 
So new stat, as, as, a, as I've written it out here, nutrition, exercise, water, sunlight, temperance and everything. You know, nutrition, yes, we always admonish a plant-based diet, a total plant-based diet if possible. But we know that cultures and uh, habits play into people's lifestyle. So if they insist that it's impossible for them to give up meat, we tell them temperance. Unfortunately, the meat we eat now is not close to the purity of meat that was eaten during the Bible times. The fish we eat now is not close to the purity of the meat, a fish that Jesus ate. Our oceans are contaminated with pollution, with mercury, with biohazards, radioactive material. So, you know, our meat is being contaminated with antibiotics and, you know, different things and hormones being injected into chicken and, and beef and meats. Uh, animals are killed in non-healthy way. They're strangled instead of allowing the blood to run out of disease. So if, if meat consumption is something that someone says, I cannot give up because I'm used to it. In temperance, if you eat two ounces, cut it down to one ounce. If you eat a slab of meat, cut it down to less than a slab or just a small portion. Let your vegetables and your whole grain and whole plant food be more on your, in your plate and less you know, brownness or flesh on your plate. And air, getting fresh air, resting adequately, not just you know, one, one day out of a week, but when you come back from work, find time to rest, you know, decompress, because the truth is rest is tied into the way our mind, our body, our heart, and everything works. And trust, Newstart has trust as the very last, but I, I, I don't believe it because if we don't trust in divine power, we cannot, we cannot begin to attain any change because on our own, we cannot change. It is said that how can a leopard change its skin? It's impossible. It's only true that divine power, the power of the Holy Spirit and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, can we begin to make changes. So what church members can do? Volunteer with church or community programs that provide services and support advocacy for the least of these. Spend more time with people in distress. Example, volunteer for a crisis hotline. Mentor children at risk, for, at risk of academic failure. This is so true because you know what? We have among us children at risk of academic failure. If any of us know how to teach them English or not, in a safe environment without physical or sexual abuse. Let us be willing to say, I can help this child because they may have a family where both parents work or mom is single or dad is single and there is no help and they don't know how to do their schoolwork and there is no after school hours, especially with COVID-19. But we can be of help to one another. And yes, we may not be in physical contact, but we can through Zoom say, I will mentor you and spend more time in crisis hotline. There are many teenagers at risk Teenage suicide rate is rising, and it is because they have no hope. There are different crisis hotlines for abused women, for you know, um, you know, uh, different you know vices in our society. Get in touch with your local health department, the local resources you have, and find out how you can be part of the help, part of the change that God has called us to be. Become informed about the social needs in your community, and ask God's guidance in making the love of Jesus real to people in need. That is the truth. As you are aware of the social needs in your community, ask God, Lord, where will my service, my talent be most needed or be most helpful? And I tell you, God will lead you. God will place you in the place where you make the most change. I have seen this in my life. I have seen him guiding as to here, volunteer here, be part of this because I feel that you will make the most change. And at first I'm like, I'm not sure God, but when I begin to question God, the Holy Spirit asked me, who are you? And there is then I said, Lord, please give me the power. And for each and every one of us, pray faithfully. Ask God, what can I do for you, Lord? Not to pay him for his grace and mercy, but to be part of the work. Because truly, it is a blessing to be called to God's vineyard, to labor and work with him. So example of Jesus says he was always patient and cheerful. None who came to him went, went away unhelped. The Savior's work was not restricted to any time or place. His compassion knew no limit. It was heaven to be in his presence. With tender, courteous grace, he ministered to the sin-sick soul, bringing healing. Why Jesus waited? Christ is waiting with longing desire for the manifestation of himself in his church. When the character of Christ shall be perfectly reproduced in his people, then he will come to claim them as his own. It is his privilege it is his privilege of every Christian, not only to look for, but to hasten the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
why Jesus waits, waits. We are all, we are all who profess his name bearing fruit in his glory. How quickly the whole, we're all who profess his name bearing fruit to his glory. How quickly the whole world will be sown with the seed of the gospel. Quickly the last great harvest will be ripened and Christ will come to gather the precious grain. Brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, but as you look around us, aren't you getting tired of this world? I say, Lord, please help us. Show me what I must do to help quicken your second coming. Help us to get rid of self, strip us of all dross, impurity, and help us to do your work so that you will come soon. I know all of us want to go home, but before we go home, we have to do what Jesus has asked us. So all hands on deck and let us do our Lord's work so that we can all go home and leave this wicked, sinful world and hope that by us doing the work he's called us, that we will take many, many will be saved into God's kingdom because Satan wishes that many and all of us perish, but the blood of Jesus will not be in vain. So he has given us our matching others and he's waiting for us to do that which he has called us to do. So God is preparing us for the work. Says so the knowledge of God is the foundation of all true education and of all true service. It is the only real safeguard against temptation. It, it is this alone that can make us like God in character. This is the knowledge needed by all who are working for the uplifting of their fellow men. Transformation of character, purity of life, efficiency in service, adherence to correct principles, all depend upon their right knowledge of God. This knowledge is the essential preparation, both for this life and for the life to come. The knowledge of the holy is understanding, Proverbs 9.10. Through a knowledge of him are given unto us, are given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. My brothers and sisters, for us to prepare, for us to prepare for the work that God has called us, we have to have a knowledge of God. And a true knowledge of God is loving God. You cannot have a knowledge of something you don't love. Most of us have a hobby. We do everything because we love that hobby to know as much as possible. When we truly love God, we shall desire to do his will. And when we have this knowledge, it will transform our character, make us pure, help us to be more efficient in our service. And then we'll have no excuse because guess what? We'll be disciplined in what we do and we cannot be making excuses to do God's work because we have then truly understood the burden of our fellow men and the joy of God, of Jesus Christ, will enable us to love one another. So brothers and sisters, as I come to the end of this presentation, I encourage us all to have hope. And I'm going to go back to that story. The story I was telling you is about the story of the rich fool that is found in Luke 12, Luke 12, verse, 12, uh, verse 16 through 20. And Jesus told the parable of the rich fool for a reason because of the fact that the rich fool, you know, was in fact full of himself, no love. He desired to enrich himself and make himself as rich as possible. He did not desire to look to the needs of those around him. Instead of saying, my wealth has increased exceedingly, I'm going to share what the Lord has given me. I'm going to help the poor around me. I'm going to make sure everyone around me is aware that there is plenty to go around. He indulged himself. And when you read that, the first time I read that, I said, wow, Jesus killed, the, God killed this person for having too much money because they um, the old barn and built a new barn. No, the Holy Spirit says, no, God did not kill him. But think about it. He said, my heart is going to have ease, drink, be merry and party. I can guarantee you this guy was not partying on vegetables, on broccoli or bananas or carrots like the children's story told us. In fact, when I saw that children's story, I said, Lord, thank you for how you connect things together. He did not party or be merry with grape juice, apple juice. He was drinking heavily. He was partying with excess consumptions of meat. And he was doing things that were not truly helpful or even enhancing his health. And I can guarantee you that he didn't spend time to exercise or rest because he was all about making money. And unfortunately, he died. He died like Mabel, Abigail's ex-husband. He died of a heart disease. He died of a heart attack. And that's why God says, you fool, 
your soul is required of you tonight. Not God said, well, because you're selfish, I'm going to kill you. God said, you did not choose to know me. You made no choice to love me. You made no choice to feel the pain of your fellow human being. You made no choice to say, how can I be of help to my fellow human being? You had so much wealth. I didn't give it to you for selfishness. I gave it to you to love, to alleviate the need. So that's why I started with that story. And if we love one another, the rich man's story to us will be an example of not to do. And I chose a rich man's story because often the poor among us say, well, I don't have money to do this. I don't have money to do that. Even the poor among us can volunteer, can give a little of what they have. Jesus does not say that only the rich people are required to give up their resources. All of us have been called to give up our resources. But I wanted to choose the rich man as an example that he who has too many and refused to give, unfortunately, is killing themselves. And he who has little can give little because all of us together in the vineyard working together is what Jesus has called us. So my brothers and sisters, I pray as we have been admonished through the word of God, the challenges before us are just a little challenge because we have a God, there is nothing hard for him to do. My sister, when he said the intercessory, when she said the intercessory prayer and asked God, is there anything too big for you to go? I wanted to break out in the song. My Yoruba friends are non Igbo friends. Please do not be mad at me. There's a song called Ifa ni chupu, Ifa ni chineke, Owe ye na ni chupu, nezia, nezia. It means there's nothing hard for God. There's nothing impossible for God. We have been given our matching others. We all can do it through the grace of God. And on that note, I say may God bless us as we go into the vineyard to work for him. In Jesus' name, amen. And now for our benediction, I'm taking it from Ephesians 3, 20 to 21. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, war without end. Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, may God bless you all. Have a blessed Sabbath, what is left of it. And by the grace of God, we'll see you all next week. Love you all. Bye. Lord, make us more holy. Lord, make us more holy. Lord, make us more holy until we.